in Joshua chapter 6. And if you remember last week when we were talking about uh, what God was doing just before Joshua um, leads the Israelites up against Jericho. We remember, remember in Joshua chapter 5 at the end of the chapter when Joshua is, it says that he was thinking and strategizing about Jericho. Remember that? And in the Hebrew it says that in his mind he was already in there uh, acting out in his mind how this was going to go down. Joshua being a military leader is already thinking about how this is going to happen. And then there's a man uh, with a, a sword drawn before him. And then we know the conversation that Joshua asked this man, are you, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? The, and this was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says no. And then he begins to talk to Joshua. Joshua understands that this is the angel of the Lord, that this is Jesus Christ in the pre-incarnate form, of, which is called a theophany. And so he falls in his face, takes his shoes off, and then we see that that's how chapter 5 ends. There are no chapter divisions in the original um, text, so we go right into chapter 6, and then we begin to see in Joshua chapter 6 a conversation ensues. The Lord starts to speak to Joshua. And let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. And this message may be two parts because uh, this part, this Sunday, and then next Sunday, the second part of chapter 6, because there's a lot to cover here about the fall of the walls of Jericho. This is one of the most incredible um, events in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, we're thankful for Sunday school, but I think that sometimes as Christians we can approach the Bible from a Sunday school perspective. You know what I'm saying? have these pictures in our mind, cartoon pictures of Joshua, you know, coming to this, you know, this, this city with walls and just kind of have like more of like a cartoon picture of it. That's what I have had when I think about this. But we need to let the text, the historical context and the Holy Spirit speak to us so that it can open our hearts and minds to what's going on here in the text. And this is exciting. I've been reading this all week. There is so much happening here. And as you, as you know, as we remember, Joshua has brought the, uh, the Israelites across to Jordan. Uh, that speaks to the death, burial, and resurrection, baptism unto death in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, the battle, and then Romans chapter 8, resurrection. And so the Israelites are in Gilgal. Remember what Gilgal means, right? In the Hebrew, it means rolled away, which is just an interesting word. Because in the Old Testament and the New Testament, names mean everything. And what can happen very easily is, is that Names can change, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, names can change, places can change, but the entities are still the same. And that's the way history is, is that history, people forget about history, and the names change, and then people live in ignorance. And that's why it's so important to understand, if we have the access to it, the historical context of what's happening in the Old Testament. Um, I like context. And so Jericho here is two miles north of where the two million Israelites are. When the Israelites left Egypt, remember there was two million of them, all of them die in the wilderness. So when they come to the Jordan River and they cross over the Jordan River and the census is taken once again, it's still the same number, about 600,000 people, give or take a couple thousand than from what left Egypt. 600,000 men. Add women and children to that and that's to about two million people. That's what commentators state. So there's two million people camping out at Gilgal which is, speaks of just resurrection. And just to recap from last week, that 
whenever there was a problem in Israel, they would always go back, the kings and the rulers would always go back to Gilgal and seek the Lord's face because that was their position of strength as we're all started. And for the believer, us today, every day we start from the point of Gilgal, from a point of resurrection life. We're no longer fighting the battle. We're no longer buried. But we, we are now resurrected with Christ in him, in Ephesians chapter 1, above principalities and powers in this present world. Isn't that great? So just follow me. This is going to be really interesting. And if you don't catch it, then you can listen to the message. But I'm going to try to go through this kind of quick, quickly. So Jericho is north, two miles. And it's like when you're looking, when you're about two miles, and, and it's about um, six miles from the um, Jordan River, and it, about 11, 11 miles north of uh, the Dead Sea. And so you, and it's a very small area. And so when you're looking, when you're sitting in Gilgal in the plains there, you're looking north and you're seeing this massive city, a city that had huge walls. Jericho was probably, many commentators state that this is probably, uh, had the oldest walls in human history. This was the ancient, ancient, ancient place. It was a stronghold that was from the beginning. It was a, it was a statement of Satan in the land of Canaan. And so we know that Canaan, of course, is a descendant of Ham. And I'm not going to get into genealogies here. But Ham was not a great dude. He was a guy, he was a son of Noah that uh, dishonored his father. And then his downline, his descendants, uh, were, were cursed. And Ham's, Ham's descendants were known to be the settlers and those that created uh, the kingdom of Samaria, Babylon, all the way down to Egypt. This was a very um, old and rebellious kingdom against God, uh, of which Nimrod, which was the first dictator world ruler from, the, from Noah that ruled, the, that ruled the known world at that time. Nimrod was a very, he was a tyrant. And so Jericho and all these other cities that we read about in Syria and in the, that go into Canaan are cities that were built by this kingdom that was set in rebellion against God. Every city that was built was built with the defensive walls to defend itself from uh, more or less God and his advance. And I don't want to get into that today, but Jericho here was shut up in verse 1. It was closed up. Jericho here means, and again, every name in the Bible has meaning. Um, in our culture, like, you know, somebody whose name is Dave or Tom, may, we don't really, it's not that much meaning in names, but Jericho and in the ancient, the ancient world and in Asia, uh, every name has a meaning. If you go to China, every name has a meaning, right? There's a, meanings in every name. Jericho has a meaning, and it comes from a root word, Yerak, which means moon, which not just moon, but the crescent moon. And this crescent moon was worshipped in this Canaanite culture. And so this was a city dedicated to the moon god, which was Yerak. Now I'm going to say it, I'm going to say all this because when we talk about the Israelites coming into Canaan, this was more than just a physical conquering of land. This was a spiritual battle of the god of the Hebrews defeating soundly every god that was in Canaan. Remember when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, the ten plagues. The ten plagues were more than just a lot of frogs and a lot of bugs and red, red water. It was, it, was a, it was a statement of battle and sound defeats of the ten major gods of the Egyptian uh, civilization. And so when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, 
that, that country was in shambles. And they had to do a total review of their religion, as we can see later on in the following pharaohs. And so Jericho is a city that was dedicated to the moon god. It was dedicated to the god of the crescent moon. And not only was this the god of the crescent moon, but this was the main god of the Canaanites. This was the god of the moon. And then this god of the moon had a mate. And this mate was Venus or Ishtar or whatever you want to call it. And so this, this kind of marriage, this demonic marriage, really ruled the Canaanite world. God was making a statement to the Canaanites and to the whole world that this, this, whole, this whole demonic thing that was happening in Canaan was all over. It was done. And it's beginning from a point of resurrection. And so Jericho was shut up inside and outside. What that meant was is that the people inside of Jericho, from, we, from what we know about um, Rahab's testimony in, in chapter 4, is the whole city is in fear. They are shaking. They, their, their spirits have melted. They are in a state of fear. And these wall, the walls of Jericho were huge. In the 1950s and, 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 and later, a lot of archaeological digs have been done in the area, which was now confirmed that it's Jericho, is that these walls were about 24 feet high, 11 to 13 meters high. And these walls were huge. They were very old. And there was two sets of walls. There was the outer walls, and there were the inner walls. And this is what this is saying in verse 1, is that the inner walls and the outer walls were locked up. And uh, because the people of, because of the people of Israel, none went in and when none went in or out. Now, Jericho had enough supplies of grain and um, supplies to last a siege for years. Years. So they're ready. They're like, bring it on. We are ready for you, Israel. And the Lord said in verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, and again, this is God speaking to Joshua when his shoes are off and his face is on the ground in chapter 5. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. King is very important here because later on, if you, know this, if you know the history here about what the king is and who he was to the, the people of Jericho and the Canaanites, this is pretty incredible. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given you. This is past tense with a continuous effect. God is saying to Jericho, uh, to, to Joshua, I have given you the people of Jericho. I've given it to you into your hand. I have done that. I love how warfare begins in the believer's life. It always begins from the perspective of Gilgal and from the perspective of God having already completed the work. That the verse that we read in Colossians 2 verse 15, that Christ has already um, conquered the principalities and the powers and he made them an open, an open mockery of them. And so God begins to speak to Joshua when he says in verse 3, you shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once, then you shall do that. Thus shall you do for six days. Commentators say that there's about forty to sixty thousand men of war, including the priests and the ark that they were kept, they were carrying. So picture this with me. I, I like to dig down. I like to go beyond the the religious fluff, and I think really look into the historical context of what's happening and getting a big picture of what was actually happening. Here you have it that God is saying to Joshua, "I need you to take the." Um, Manasseh, I need you to take Gad and Reuben, these men of war that from these three tribes, and they go first. Secondly, there are seven priests that we read about later, and after with these trumpets, these shohar trumpets, 
And then after them is the Ark of the Covenant. And then after the Ark of the Covenant is the tribe of Dan, their warriors. So there's about, there's about 40 to 60,000 men here ready to go to war. Priests and soldiers. Now, when you look at the book of Joshua, we talk about where we put ourselves as the New Testament believer in these. There's Joshua, there's the priests, and there's the people. Remember, we spoke about that the New Testament believer can identify himself with the priests that are carrying the ark. These priests were actually men of war as well. Warrior priests. Isn't that cool? You and I are warrior priests. We are worshipers with swords. And you shall march around the city. The seven and verse, <clears throat> and you shall do this for six days. <clears throat> I can't get into it, but the fact that they're going to go around six times has so much significance to the Canaanite culture, uh, the encompassing of a city six times. And you'll go around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, then you shall do it for six days. In verse four, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Now, the word seven here, and this is going to be more of a teaching message with some practical application at the end. The number seven in the, has, this, has the same roots. Now, if you speak another language, you know that, um, that in other languages, every word has a root, doesn't it? Right? And then there's the endings and there's the prefix. So the root word of seven is the same word that we, is the same root word that's used in the Hebrew word covenant. So seven always speaks of God's covenant with the believer, with, with Israel. It speaks of the God's covenant, covenant of judgment against the enemies, the adversaries of God. And so we see that the seven priests are, shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. A lot of sevens in there, right? What's God trying to say? I have done this. I have made a covenant with Israel already. I've made a covenant with you. This is already done. I mean, how many times have we approached a city of Jericho in our life? Jericho speaks in the believer's life of, of strongholds that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It speaks of walled cities in our life that we look at and we just say, I'm never going to get victory in that in my life. That's been something that I've been fighting for many years in my life, for decades in my life. I'm never going to get victory in that. You ever say that? I'm sure you have. I've said that. That's never going to change. Or that person's never going to change. Or that situation's never going to change. Or my kid's never going to change. Or that work situation's never going to change. That's what we say. Jericho is a city, and it's not only just a city, but it was the most powerful city and the most fortified city of all of Canaan. God is bringing the Israelites not into the easiest, like, hey, you know, we're going to ease you into this. No, God's taking them to the hardest city right at the beginning. Look <laughs> like how God does that. Takes it right to the hardest city with the biggest walls. And this city was actually the gateway city to, was the gatekeeping city of the whole land of the Canaanites in that part of Israelites. So God is taking them to a hard place. And it says that the seven priests will bear seven trumpets. I think two things, two ingredients that we see in God's victory is two things. Number one, priests and trumpets. And just, I was thinking about that yesterday afternoon. What does that mean? It means that in any spiritual victory, in your life, in your family's life, and whatever you and I are involved with, requires priests, which speak of us and our inner relationship with God, our walk with God, before people and before God. And number two, trumpets, 
Trumpets speak of a message. Trumpets speak of a clear sound. The Bible says that if the trumpet is not clear in the day of war, who will be ready? Trumpets speak of our message. The trumpets speak of our confession. What are we saying? What are we saying in an impossible situation? What is our confession in Romans chapter 10? Trumpets, having a clear sound. Having a clear letting our yea be yea and our nay be nay. A clear sound. And so the seven tr- priests and the seven trumpets of ram's horns go before the, before the ark. The ark speaks of the presence of God. I've always loved Joshua's relationship with the ark. And this is what we see throughout the whole book of Joshua. That Joshua has this beautiful relationship with the presence of God. Joshua walks in the presence of the ark. Joshua, Joshua respects and fears the ark. The ark is not just some kind of religious relic, but it is a huge symbol of what Jesus Christ will be in John chapter 1, whether Christ is among his people, that, that he dwelt among flesh in John chapter 1. And so the ark of the covenant uh, has priests before it. And you know something, when we go into warfare, when we face new things in our life, when we're facing situations that we never thought were going to happen to us, when we face great promotion and great, great um, uh, expression and execution of the promises of God in our life, you can expect a big Jericho to be standing right in front of you. Like, hey, we're going into the land, the grapes are huge, everything's wonderful here, palm trees, water, milk and honey, and a huge Jericho right in front of you. And guess what we can, we can expect? That with the presence of God being our, in our midst, we can expect that as priests and trumpets, that we have our walk with God right, that, we walk, that we're walking circumspectly, not in self-analysis, but just walking in faith in our relationship with God. And then secondly, having, making sure that our confession is right. Our confession is right. Having the trumpets blowing, and that is all happening before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall be marching around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So this is what's happening. Let me just read the next couple of verses. And so in verse 5, then, then you shall make a long blast with a ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. Going up straight. Remember that. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to him, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward. These are the warriors. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, in verse 8, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns. God is trying to make a point here because this is the third or fourth time he says this. Blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. And the armed men walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. And the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumps blew continually. Imagine the scene here. forty to 60,000 men. You have seven priests that are blowing these shohars or shofars. And do you know how loud they are? I don't know if you've ever heard one. But they are, they are very loud. You can hear them. If it's correctly made and it's correctly blown, you can hear it for a long distance away. And so imagine the scene early in the morning, day one, day two, every day. You have 60,000 people gathering together and they are filing out of the Israeli camp in Gilgal and they are marching towards Jericho. Jericho had these huge towers 
on the wall, and they could see, they could easily see two miles away. Every time that someone would get up in Jericho and look out from the gates, they could see this massive group of two million people. And then suddenly, one early morning, there's a, there is this like this line, this serpentine type of line of people coming out of the camp, and you hear these horns. <laughs> it's like quite a sight, isn't it? Very intimidating, very loud. And you just see people, and no one is saying anything. And that's what it says here later in verse 10. It says that Joshua commanded the people, very important point here, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Why is that important? Because this is a faith walk. This is a walk of faith in obedience to what God is commanding them to do. This is critical in experiencing victory for the Israelites. They were not to talk that they were not to say anything. So you have this line of people coming out. Why is that important? Because when we are walking in the, in the walk of faith, as it says in Amos 5, verse 13, it says that in the day of evil, <clears throat> hold your tongue. It's better to be silent in the day of evil because, the, because in the evil day, or we can say also in the day of faith, when we're walking by faith, it's not a time to do a lot of talking. I don't know about you, but when the pressure is on, there's a lot of things happening, and uh, I don't feel like doing a lot of talking. Because I just feel like it would just, it's just foolishness. It can be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the sacrifice of fools. Or I'm just talking, talking, talking. Like, I think it should be this way. What's Joshua doing? And why did God do it this way? And why are we, why are we still, you know, in this kind of a circumstance? And didn't God do, say it was going to be this way? And why are we doing that? And, and it's like we're talking, talking, talking. And we're just offending. We're just grieving the Holy Spirit with all of our natural opinion about things. It's better just to be quiet and just walk in faith and just listen to, the, listen to the sound that's coming from the priests, from the trumpets. Amen? It's a clear sound. It's a clear sound. It's something that's not changing. It's our testimony. It's like, hey, how you doing? God's good. I don't have to say a lot of words. It's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to feel like I'm under pressure to say something really spiritual. It's okay. I just... Just walk by faith. And, and as they're walking out and they're walking, and there's this, the Canaanite religion was made up of two major figures. One of them was the serpent. And the serpent, <laughs> the serpent, listen to this though. And that, that's a sign to, um, for the, one of the main points of the message. <laughs> Is that, this, that, that the serpent was worshipped in the Canaanite land. And because it was worshipped, here can you imagine that here's the crescent moon, there is the there's the king, and and there's a serpentine type of thing coming out, Jericho, what they were worshiping. They were they were psychologically freaking out. And then then they, they go around the city once and they go back. No one is saying a word. Nothing. Silence. Weird. It's just like psych, you know. Blowing the horns and in these armed men, 60,000. The city itself, they say, was about nine acres large. Something like an oblong, it was like an oval type of a city. And it wasn't large. These ancient cities were not huge cities. There was about nine acres, and then the inside of the walls were about six acres. And so there was anywhere between um, 600 to 6,000 people in there, depending on the time of the year. And so when the, when, there, when the city was under threat of war, then everybody goes into the city and the, the city is shut up. So inside the city, there are thousands of people freaking out. And as the, as the Israelites, as the, as the men of war are going around the, the, 
the city with the ark and the trumpets, um, it's about, I figured it last night, it's about maybe a half a mile, three quarters of a mile walk. Could be wrong on my math there, but it's something like that. How long does it take you to do that? Well, with 60,000 people, I don't know how long that would take. Maybe somebody that was in the military knows better. Maybe a couple hours, maybe, I don't know, two or three hours, I'm not sure. And so they go around, it was not, and this is how each day began, getting up, going out there, blowing the horns with the ark, going around the city in silence, trusting God, and just seeing, and day one, day two, and this happened, and then then on day six, the... The instructions were <clears throat> that at the day when, in, on, on the seventh day in verse 15, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Let me tell you a little bit about who the king was of that city and what this all was going on. Let's back up a little bit back to, to appreciate what God is doing here and the statement that God is making to all of Canaan through the destruction here of, of Jericho is this, is that in old Canaanite religion, around the time of April, mid-April, what their king would do is, is that the king would leave the city and go east with all of his priests. They would do this, to simplify it, they would do this ritual where the king is uh, symbolically dying and then he's, then he's resurrecting and then he's coming back with all of his priests back into the city going west back into the city. And as the king and his priests are coming into the city, they, everyone in the city is rejoicing because now this king who is a human being is now a god. He's a king. He's the, he is now this transformed, super king, superhuman, invincible god. And this is how they worshiped him. If you look at the Jewish calendar of what was happening here, Israel with Joshua are coming at Jericho right at that time. It's very possible that this had just happened and that at that time also is that in the early in the morning, you could probably see because of the, of the and I don't suggest you study this, but I just had some good resources, that the moon was in its crescent form over the city that was being, that the city that worshipped the crescent moon and their, their grains were, you know, the, the storehouses were full. They were ready. They were in their prime condition to face the Israelites. And yet... God is going to do this in a very unconventional way. God brings, God brings the Israelites. Now he's going to defeat them. And on the seventh day, they go around the city seven times. Now, I'm thinking that when day one through day six, the, the troops of Israel are marching. They march once. Maybe they encircled the city once. I'm not sure. But then on day seven, with 60,000 Troops, they're going around the city and they're going around and they're going around and around. That probably took about several hours 10 hours, maybe 12 hours. I don't know, huh? Probably, thank you. We've got massive petitions out there. Seven hours, okay? Imagine that seven hours of non stop uh, trumpet, uh, trumpet sound and people marching in silence. And then as they're marching around it, the um, the thickness of the of of the of the ring of people around the Jericho is getting thicker and thicker and thicker, and so by the time they're done after seven or eight hours of marching, they are it's the entire city is encompassed with several rows of, of warriors, and at that moment we read here on the seventh time the priests 
when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. What does that mean? It just, this means, I want to talk about this maybe next week, is that because this was the first city and the law of the first fruits, this belonged to God. The city belonged to God. But it belonged to God in a way of judgment. It was devoted for destruction. And that's why nothing could be taken out of it. I want to just kind of wrap it up here. That as they are walking around the city and they begin to blow the horns and Joshua says, now shout. Imagine what somebody that has rested their voice for seven days is now screaming at the top of their lungs. I mean, the power and the energy and the, and the, 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 the um, strength that that, that that voice had. And as they're screaming and shouting and the, and the trumpets are blowing, these walls come down. And they, and they don't just kind of fall down. They just, they, it, 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 archaeology also proves this, that the walls actually came down on top of themselves. And the way they came down is, is that, that and, and the way you can look at it today, uh, if you go there, the walls have fallen in such a way that the rubble goes outwards and it produces like a ramp. So when, the, when, the Israel, when God says to the Israelites, go up and go straight and up into the city, that means that there were thousands of people running at the city in all directions with the walls that had already come down and they're going up and then they're going straight down. What an incredible event. 6,000 people, 3,000 people in the city are totally overwhelmed and they are, they are, they are in, in absolute chaos. What's amazing here is we read here that only Rahab, the prostitute, and all that were with her in verse 17 and in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. I was reading this, and I think it's the Amplified Bible that brings this out in his commentary, that when you look at when they begin to dig up uh, Jericho and the ruins of Jericho, there was only one part of the wall that was still standing. Everything else was had fallen down. There was this one part of the wall that was 24 feet high and uh, I think 54 feet long with a big tower on it, and there were houses that were in that wall. And that was the only wall that was standing up. And this is where archaeologists think, biblical archaeologists believe, that that's where Rahab's house was. That the only place that her, the only place that hadn't fallen was the place where Rahab and her family were living. Is that incredible? That God is so specific and so precise in his promises. And so in verse 20, the people, and it says here in verse 16, verse 8, I'm sorry, 18 and 19, it says that you cannot take anything. Don't take the grain. Don't take the clothing. Don't take anything because everything in that city is devoted for destruction. That speaks a lot because remember what the, um, remember what the priests, or I'm sorry, the spies said to Rahab when they were in chapter 4, when they were, when they were meeting with her and said, when we're invading, do not stay in your apartment, stay in your home. Because if you go outside into the streets, we cannot guarantee your safety. That's a major statement to me about the world system. This world system is devoted for destruction. This system in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, the prince of the power of the air who is running this world system is really going to be judged during the tribulation. It is really devoted for destruction. And I think that as a believer, we are called into the house of Rahab which though she is a, she's a prostitute, she has found grace in the eyes of the Lord because of the grace of God and because of salvation. 
and we are in this household. Rahab later, of course, we know is, a, is, an, is, a, is an ancestor of Jesus Christ through his, through his genealogical line. We are in this household of faith. And I think that if we were to wander into the world, if we were to wander into a lifestyle of just, um, uh, just without restraint, making bad decisions, being around people that just are, um, that are not believers in Proverbs 13, verse 20, when we are around company that does not, that does not fear God, that do not know God, then um, we are in a place where, where our safety is not guaranteed. I believe that God is keeping us safe, but we could be in circumstances, uh, we could be in circumstances where we find ourselves in the streets of Jericho when the walls are coming down. When those walls came down, probably hundreds of people died instantly because of the rubble. And so all the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord in verse 19. And they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Everything that can be burned was burned. When archaeologists looked at that, they would go into the storehouses and they found these storehouses of grain. Everything was full. All the vessels were full. Nothing was touched and it was all burnt with fire. But the only thing that wasn't burnt was, and the only thing that wasn't there was metal, all the gold, uh, and uh, bronze and iron that was not there because that's the only thing that can't be burnt. These metals can't be burnt. These are things that were taken out and were put into the treasury house of the Lord. And so verse 20, the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And in verse 21, they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. I just want to close with this. What is our Jericho today? God has called us as a church, as a family, as an individual into Canaan in our life. Every day we begin from the perspective, from the point of Gilgal. What is your Jericho today? I don't know what it is. Jericho speaks of a stronghold that Christ has already pulled down to the cross and to the resurrection. When we read here what Paul said to the Corinthians, we pull down strongholds, not with conventional weapons of the flesh. And I just want to make this point here, is that I don't know about you, but my wife and I have never <clears throat> made decisions or been in a place in our life where we can just walk in and say, you know what, we've been preparing for this for years. And we got all the resources we need, and we're ready to roll. I don't know why that is just with my wife and I. We just, we've never been able to, I don't know what that is. Every time we try to do that, it just it doesn't work out. And so, and so, and then God begins to do something incredibly gracious to us that we could have never achieved, that we could have never done ourselves. And God's making the point this way. He's saying that, that so that no flesh would glory in his presence, God is doing this by grace. <clears throat> God is doing these things in our lives by grace because Grace is when, God is when God is glorified and when God is exalted. And so when we look at Jerichos in our life, whatever that may be, an inner Jericho, an external Jericho, whatever that might, might be, remember <clears throat> that this is a Jericho that, that has already been given to you and I as the body of Christ. The only thing that we need to do <clears throat> is make sure that as priests blowing the horns that that our, our vertical with God is right, so that we are strengthened in who we are in Christ, that so we're walking in the word and the, walking in the message that God had given to Joshua 
And secondly, that, we are, that our confession is right, that our confession is not a foolish confession, but a confession of just understanding that what God has begun in our life, he'll be faithful to complete. This is how spiritual battles are won. And it's done not in the, not in the glorious, amazing way where I can walk away and say, this is what I did. But it's done in a way where we can just say, you know what? We looked really crazy when we were, we were walking by faith. We looked certainly kind of interesting walking around the city, kind of wondering, not even, not even allowed to speak our opinion. But yet, when God moved, God moved, and it was accomplished. And all we can do is to say that God just did this glorious work, and it was not done by any type of human endeavor. That's why when we look at our church, that's why when we look at our future as individuals, as, as believers, as family members, we can't approach our future from the perspective of natural thinking, natural mindset, or, or, natural, or, or natural assessment. We only need to look at it from the perspective of what is Joshua saying? What is Jesus saying to us today? And let's just walk in that by faith, blowing the, blowing the trumpets with a certain sound and just walking with God by faith. Amen? And that's just the message today, a very simple message for you today. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can just walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we are, uh, we're just amazed by <clears throat> the size of Jericho in our life. But Lord, we want to always go back to that place of that baseline, which is us with our shoes off in your presence, listening to the captain of the army of the host of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we're going to hear these words. You have seen this day that I have already given you Jericho. And Lord, that's how we look at our life. You have already given us these things. These things are devoted unto destruction. And we are, we are the agents of God to walk into places where they look very fortified. But as Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot resist or, or defend, defend themselves against the advance of the kingdom of God. And so we trust you today for that. We trust you for your plan, and we look to you. And just help us to walk in faith and rest and not try to strive using carnal weapons. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.